Well, turn with me again in your Bibles to Psalm 110. We read from this psalm last Lord's Day to provide a little bit of context for our sermon passage in Hebrews 7. We are again this morning in Hebrews 7, this time wrapping up the chapter. And so it again is relevant to read through Psalm 110. Psalm 110, and in a moment we'll turn to Hebrews 7, 20-28. Psalm 110, hear now the word of the Lord. A psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Amen. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points us to two words from God the Father to God the Son. In verses 1 and 2, the Father turns to the Son in all eternity and says, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool. The Father has established the Son to be the King over all the world. And He will have willing worshipers. And He will have dominion over all the world. But then in verse 4, the father turns to the son and from all eternity he says, you are also a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Not only is the son of God, Jesus Christ, king of all the world and the world will know him and worship him, but he is priest of all the world. The one through whom, the one and only one through whom. Humanity and the world is reconciled to God and has peace with God. With this in mind, turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Our sermon this morning is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 28. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 28. We're at the end of the chapter here, and we'll be looking at these final verses this third time that the author is focusing us in on this connection between Jesus and the old priesthood and the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7, let's begin with verse 20. Read through verse 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he was in oath by him, who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. 
you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for his people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son, who has been perfected forever. Amen. And amen. Last week we realized, the Bailey family, that it's that time of year again. Many of your families realized it too. You sent your kids to school, and what did they bring home from the classroom? Colds and flus. We sent our kids off to the youth retreat, and guess what we are expecting they will bring home this evening? Colds and flus. It is that time of year again, where the disease will scatter about the city, and we will come together Lord's Day after Lord's Day and say, did you get it this week? Did you get it next week? Who's getting it? As the diseases make their way around the metro. Imagine with me for a moment that our pharmaceutical industry got together and came up with a little pill that you could pop like a Tums and within 15 to 60 minutes be relieved of all your cold and flu symptoms. How many of you are going to still go around wrapped in a blanket, eating chicken noodle soup, sipping tea, watching BBC's Pride and Prejudice all day? And how many of you are going to pop the pill? It's kind of a tough question for some of you, isn't it? Hence why I worded it that way. You see, the reality is, we are sometimes much more comfortable treating symptoms than curing diseases. Sometimes we, spiritually speaking, would rather relieve the distress of our sin than actually relieve ourselves of sin. We want to minimize the consequences and the pain and the suffering of our selfishness, but we don't actually want to repent of the selfishness. And so the Holy Spirit turns to us in Hebrews chapter 7 and reminds us we have a very good reason to actually persist in repentance. Jesus saves Permanently and completely. Jesus saves permanently and completely. So let us live for Him. So let us order our lives and structure our relationships in such a way that He's at the center, that He's the goal of that relationship. 
and that life. Think about this a little bit this morning. Notice in verses 20 and 21 that we are given a familiar contrast. The Holy Spirit tells us that Jesus is a priest, but not like the priest that the Hebrews know. These Hebrews, these first century Christians who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, are nevertheless tempted to return to the Levitical priesthood, to return to the law of Moses, to return to those priests who descended from Aaron who offered sacrifices in the temple. And he is begging them, pleading with them, teaching them that they should not go back to the old way. They should stick with Jesus and Jesus alone. He makes in these verses this point. For he was made as a priest by oath. And the Levitical priests were not. He has repeatedly throughout this book said many of these contrasts. They die. He has an indestructible life. They offer many sacrifices. He offered one. Here the contrast is the oath. He was made a priest by oath. They were not. They were made a priest by law. Moses decreed from Sinai, according to the word of the Lord, that the descendants of Levi should have the duty and responsibility of priesthood. But not so Jesus. It is not a law that forces him into the office. It is not an accident of his genealogy that qualifies him for office. It is his person. He, as an individual, is uniquely worthy to be high priest. His father decreed and handpicked him, Jesus Christ, to be the priest of all humanity. The one who reconciles us to God. He was made priest by oath. This distinction is a very important one for us, at least for this reason. We are constantly tempted to make priests out of the people around us. We are constantly tempted to turn ourselves into priests. We are tempted to do this with our children, to parent them in such a way that communicates to the child, if you do what I say, all will be well. If you conform to my standards, life will be good. Instead of saying, Jesus is what you need, not me. We're tempted to do this with our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers. To relate to them as if all they needed to do is sit in a pew and sing some psalms with us once a week and all will be well. We turn evangelism into promoting church instead of promoting Christ. We're we're tempted to do this whenever we're in authority and say, if I get my way, then all will be well. But we are not the priests we're looking for. Jesus is. He is the one God has chosen. That the world should be made right. And that humanity should be reconciled to God through Him. Not us. 
This fact that Jesus, by oath, is the one person, the individual who stands alone between heaven and earth and reconciles them through his work, makes him the surety of a better covenant, it says in verse 22. The line of logic actually begins in verse 20. Inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, notice notice the parentheses, inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Jesus has become the priest of all humanity, reconciling us to God by oath. God promised, you are my priest. God swore, I will save the world through you and no one else. And that promise was just the beginning. That that promise is just the starting point. By so much more, we can be sure Jesus saves. God has sworn Jesus saves. Jesus and Jesus alone. And by so much more, we can be sure. Do you know that the Westminster Confession of Faith says that believers in this lifetime can have an infallible assurance of salvation? Do you know that there are only two things in the Westminster Confession of Faith that are called infallible? The Bible and assurance of salvation. If that doesn't mess with your brain, you're probably needing more coffee. Isn't that remarkable? My awareness that God loves me can be as unshakably sure as the Bible itself. How is that possible? Because I have a promise in the Bible that Jesus saves. And by so much more, so many more promises. From Genesis to Revelation, Tom this morning in the adult class took us on a 30 minute, 30,000 foot flyby of the entire scriptures on the office of elders. We could do the same thing with the promises of God for our salvation. That you can open Genesis 1 and you can flip through 1184 chapters of the Bible and in every single chapter you can find God whispering to you, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. By so much more, this promise repeated and precious, we have a guarantee of a better covenant. We have a guarantee of a right relationship with God. We have a guarantee of forgiveness of our sins, the gift of righteousness, the hope of heaven and eternal life. Jesus is the one. To take a little bit of a rift on some of the Puritans, why is it that we struggle with assurance of salvation when the Bible promises us such confidence? Because we look to one another for our priest. Because we look to our parents to save us. We look to our spouse to save us. We look to our pastor to save us. We look to our friends and our neighbors to save us. And every time we do, we shrink our assurance of salvation. 
And Hebrews says again and again and again, the whole book, consider Christ. Look to Jesus. Study Jesus. These are the imperatives throughout the entire book. Chapter 6, the the imperative from which we are building this this section in chapter 7, says, let us go on to perfection. Let us grow up into the reality. Here's the reality. Jesus saves. Perfection does not lie in my pursuit of obedience. Perfection lies in my pursuit of Jesus. He saves. And if I want to be sure of that, I pursue Him. Jesus is the guarantee of a right relationship with God. Jesus is confidence that God has promised me. In Him I have peace. Now, what makes this relationship so much better when it's in Jesus instead of in Levi? When it's in Jesus instead of in Aaron? If Jesus is my priest and not the people around me, if Jesus is my priest and not me, if my relationships are structured in such a way that I'm always trying to point to Jesus and not to me, if I'm trying to parent in a way that makes my kids see Jesus and not me, if I'm trying to preach in a way that leaves people saying, that's a great Jesus, and not, that's a great preacher. If I'm always, in my conversation and relations, trying to call attention to Jesus, what makes Him so much better? So much more worthy than you and me and all this world? Well, in verses 23, 24, and 25, we're given two perfections. First, Jesus is a priest permanently. And secondly, Jesus is a priest completely. Notice beginning in verse 23, there were many priests, that is under Levi, under Aaron, because they were prevented by death from continuing. Man, you want a surefire, guaranteed way to prove that that priesthood didn't work? They spent their whole lifetime Killing animals for the forgiveness of sins, only to do what? Die like an animal. Didn't work. Generation after generation for hundreds of years, slaughtering thousands, if not millions of animals on the altar, blood by the ton rushing down through the worshipers to no avail. The priest still died. Verse 24, but he, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. The first perfection of Jesus Christ is that he, in his person, as an individual, is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. It is an unchangeable priesthood priesthood. Do you know when Jesus is going to stop praying for you? Never. Do you know when Jesus is going to stop offering his life and death for your sin? Never. It is an unchangeable priesthood. Do you know when he's going to stop loving you? Never. It is an unchangeable priesthood. This Jesus, in his person, stands in heaven forever, praying for you, forgiving you, 
blessing you. It is an unchangeable, unbreakable, undiminishable priesthood. He is the perfect, permanent priest. This is why we can't rely on one another. Do you know how long you'll be married? Till death or divorce, one or the other. But it will end. Do you know how long you as a parent will actually have power and influence and authority over your children? It's kind of like one of those parabola things. It will diminish over time. It will come back up and diminish again. And, but eventually it will end. Do you know how long your friendships will last? Do you know how long you'll have this pastor, this elder, these deacons? Your faith cannot be in these persons. They do not last. They go and they get replaced. But not so Jesus. He is the one permanent person in this world. The one permanent person in your world and in your relationships. Your marriage must be rooted in Christ. Your parenting must be rooted in Christ. Your work in the job and in the office must be rooted in Christ. You won't be there forever. He will be. He is the one who is the permanent, unchangeable maker of this world in making it right. He reconciles this world to God. The second perfection in verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' second perfection is that he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who have heard me pray for the lost know this is one of my favorite phrases to pray. He saves to the uttermost. The Greek word is great. It means completely. It means permanently. It can refer to degree. It can refer to duration. It can refer to any number of qualities. He saves to the uttermost. He saves to the extreme. Do you think your sins are too big? You can't be reconciled to God. You have a priest whose love is bigger. Do you think that your sins are too many? You have a priest whose love is greater than that. He saves to the extremity. He saves to the uttermost. There is no one whose sins can keep them from being reconciled to God because Jesus saves to the extremity. Are you perhaps frustrated with the fact that your sins are still with you? That you haven't outgrown them? That you haven't matured past them? That they're still dogging you at your heels and tripping you up? He saves to the uttermost. He's not done saving you. He will save you right on into the perfections of glory and of heaven. He is able to save to the uttermost. No matter how far from God you are, He can reach the extremity and save you. No matter how much you struggle with sanctification, He is able to save you to the uttermost. It is a complete salvation. It is a perfect and permanent salvation. 
that through him we might come to God, who is always in heaven making intercession for them. Notice that. He is not only permanent in his heavenly ministry for you, he's up in heaven praying for you permanently. But this verse teaches us that he's also praying for us perpetually. He never stopped praying for you. This last June, we were over in Ireland, and this man preached on prayer. And he had this delivery where he spoke very slowly and left really long, awkward pauses. And it was kind of distracting, but it was also attention getting. In the middle of his sermon, he said to us, what have you stopped praying for? And then he left a long, awkward pause, and we were screaming, please talk. I would like to forget that question as soon as possible. Jesus never stops praying. Parents stop praying. Pastors, stop praying. Friends, stop praying. We can't be the priests we're looking for. Because we stop praying. And he never does. He is in heaven permanently praying for you. He is in heaven perpetually praying for you. Applying to you his love. Applying to you his forgiving grace. Turning to his father and saying, you see that one? You see that dirty, wretched sinner who fell into that same selfish sin? I love him. And I died for her. And that's what he says. Every day, all day long, to the joy of his soul. A permanent and perpetual priest. This is Jesus' perfection for us. Our faith must not be in one another, but in Him. To that end, the Holy Spirit then begins to sum up this argument. These verses 26 through 28 are something of a climax, something of a crescendo, where He's been arguing Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the Levitical priesthood. And now he's, he's coming to this big climax. You can actually see it in chapter 8, verse 1. I'll give you a sneak preview. You can look down there. This is the main point of the things we are saying. If you ever wanted to know what the main point of the book of Hebrews is, he says it right here. This is the main point of the book of Hebrews. We have such a high priest. And I can't go on because that's next week's sermon. Actually, it's the week after. But anyway, this is the main point. This is the crescendo. This is the climax. This is what we've been going for. We have such a high priest who is fit for us. We have a high priest who is exactly what we need. We have a high priest who is perfect in every way. Exactly what your soul is longing for. He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and higher than the heavens. We have a Jesus who is holy. There's no sin in Him. 
There's no imperfection with him. He is so holy that the unholiness around him is sanctified. We have a Jesus who is harmless, that is innocent, that is devoid of any ill intent. He is not only holy in every word and action, he is holy in his heart and in his mind. There is an internal holiness that is worked out in his life. He is undefiled. There is no stain or shadow on him. When he walked through an unclean world, every unclean person that touched him became clean. When he walked through a world of sin, he didn't sin. He turned sinners into righteousness. He is undefiled and undefilable. He is separate from sinners. He is unpolluted by their presence, but rather when he is in fellowship with them, he sanctifies them. He saves the sinners he is with. He is higher than the heavens. You know how powerful the rising sun is? I mean, how many of us have stopped the sun from coming up? Jesus is more powerful still. Because the sun will stop rising. And he'll still be praying for you. You know how powerful it is? That urge to breathe. Jesus is more powerful still. Because one day you'll stop breathing. And he'll still be praying for you. This is the perfection of our priest. He is fit for us. He's exactly what we need. He does not daily as the priests of old offer up sacrifices. He doesn't rise every morning and offer a new sacrifice for the sins of last night. He doesn't gather you to bed every night and present a fresh sacrifice and say, well, there's all those sins for today. He's not like Job, who every morning has to kill all these animals in case his kids sinned in their hearts and cursed God. He doesn't have to offer sins for sacrifices for his own sins. He didn't have any. He doesn't have to then offer a new sacrifice for his people. Though we go on sinning, he does not go on sacrificing. Rather, this extraordinary statement, he did once for all. Do you know how many sacrifices a high priest would have offered in his tenure? I mean, if he served from age 30 to age 50 and killed at least two animals a day, morning and evening sacrifices, not to mention all the animals that were brought in by the individual worshipers all day long, this guy retires at age 50 having slaughtered tens of thousands of animals. Jesus only ever offered one sacrifice. Once for all, when he offered up, I didn't make it through this when I practiced, himself. He didn't rise in the morning like a priest and go through the barnyard and think, will I kill an ox today? Will I kill a sheep or a goat or a lamb or a ewe? He got up and he said to his father in heaven, right after his father said, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And he said, you're right, father, I'll go. And I will provide myself a sacrifice for sin. And he offered 
himself. Parents can't do that. Pastors can't do that. Co-workers and employers can't do that. You have only one relationship that can save you. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is only one human in all of humanity that can reconcile God and man. The one who offered himself a perfect sacrifice for sin. I mean... When you were moving toward the climax and the crescendo of the Holy Spirit argument, did you expect to find anything else? When we get to the bottom of the faith, what do we find? Jesus crucified for sinners. There is no other gospel. There is no other hope. There is no other salvation. Let's parent like that. Let's preach like that. Let's evangelize like that. Let's do our jobs like that. Let's let's recognize that all the relationships and responsibilities of life are intended to call attention to Jesus and not us. For this is in fact the point made in the final verse, verse 28. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. And I want to say amen. Because that is where we're at. We are appointed in weakness. I was ordained and installed a pastor in weakness. I was made a husband and a father in weakness. And I've not escaped that condition. Every relationship you have, you have in weakness. The work that you do, you do weekly. I mean with an A. You also do it with an A, two E's. The the love that you give is weak. The service and the sacrifice is weak. But there's good news. There is a word of oath. There is a promise from God. The Father in heaven has sworn. It is a permanent and perfect And perpetual truth, there is a son who is appointed forever. The law was meant to show us our need for Jesus. The Levitical priesthood was meant to show us our need for Jesus. And you are meant to show each other your need for Jesus. You aren't the answer the world is looking for. You aren't the answer your spouse is looking for. You aren't the answer your children are looking for. You aren't the answer your coworkers are looking for. Jesus is. And like the law of Moses, and like the Aaronic priesthood, you are here to point to Jesus. This is why we have a vow of communicant membership. Do you promise? To faithfully perform your responsibilities in all your relationships of life. Just before that line is, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Our relationships do not exist to satisfy us. And our relationships do not exist to satisfy others. Our relationships exist to give evidence 
of the saving work of Jesus Christ. He's the priest you're looking for. Beloved, Jesus saves perfectly. Jesus saves completely, permanently. Live for him. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this beautiful gospel. We give you thanks for the truth of your word. And pray that you would forgive us that we have put our faith in so many things and in so many persons. But give us now that faith that looks only to Jesus. And Father, help us to live obedient to the gospel. Living out the truth of your grace. Living out the hope and the peace and the joy of your grace. And giving it freely and wonderfully to one another. Father, we give you thanks for the blessings we have in Christ. And ask that we would be those who bless one another in Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.